Hey, nothing will test your nerve quite like playing a game of paintball. Right? Am I right? Nothing will test your nerve quite like playing a game of paintball. For my 18th birthday, the, uh, the boys in my family offered to take me to play paintball together. And being freshly 18, I wanted to prove just how tough I was until I accepted. Turns out I am not tough. Uh, if you don't know much about paintball, basically you go to like an area of bushland with a group of people and they give you these uh, gas-powered paintball guns uh, and you play a bunch of games where you shoot paintballs at each other. Now the paintballs themselves are about the size of a marble, they're not too big, they're made from like a gelatin casing that's filled with coloured paint and when they leave these gas-powered paintball guns they're travelling at about 90 metres per second. Now, even though they're designed for a game, when they hit you, it hurts a lot, right? It hurts. And there's a whole bunch of of different games and different activities that you do when you play paintball. uh, And people respond in all kinds of different ways as the games start. Some people immediately panic, right? And And they just run off in all directions, freaking out, they don't know what to do, and of course they become easy targets and they get picked off first. Uh, But the key to winning, the key to winning in paintball, is that as the paintballs fly, and as there's pressure on all sides, and, and as you get hit with the paintballs, as everything seems chaotic, the key to winning is two things. Keep your head and stick together. Keep your head and stick together. Now, I'm not here tonight to teach you paintball strategy, though if you do want to chat strat, we can do that after the service uh, over supper. No, actually, we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be continuing on in our discipleship series where we've been thinking about what it looks like to be a devoted imitator of Jesus, a devoted imitator of Jesus. Tonight, we're especially going to be thinking about how disciples of Jesus should love and serve each other. And together, we'll see that, believe it or not, just bear with me, that there are some similarities between my paintball experience and the experience of every disciple of Jesus. But uh, how about I pray for us as we open up God's Word together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your Word tonight, we pray what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we're in 1 Peter. Now, the book of 1 Peter is written by, you guessed it, Peter. Uh, and it's uh, written, it says in chapter 1, verse 1, to God's elect. That is, Peter is writing to Christians in this letter. He tells them in chapters 1 and 2 that they are a special people that God has chosen and that they have an inheritance waiting for them in heaven when Jesus returns. But he also says in chapter 2 that they are foreigners and exiles in the world. Because they are Christians, they don't belong here. And because they don't belong here, life is going to be tough. Life is going to be tough. They will face pressure both from inside themselves, their own sinful desires which will wage war against their souls, but also from people around them who will persecute them and who will cause them to suffer for their faith. 
And so Peter's been explaining to them up to this point in the letter how they should act under these pressures and these persecutions that they face as Christians. And that is the context of the little opening line that we saw tonight in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. The time is coming, says Peter, when Jesus will return. The time is coming, but it's not here yet. The time when every person will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, chapter 4, verse 5, and when Christians will receive our inheritance, chapter 1, verse 4. The time is coming, but it's not here yet. Now, Christians call this time between when Jesus first came and when he'll return, the last days. The last days. That's how the Bible refers to this time. And so, while these Christians wait for Jesus' return in the last days, what should they be doing? What should they be doing to ensure that these pressures and these persecutions that they're facing don't overcome them? These are the questions that Peter wants to answer for his readers, and they're relevant questions for us too, because we also are in the last days. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So these questions are really relevant for us. Uh, but Peter, he actually has an even bigger picture in mind. He doesn't, he doesn't just want to explain uh, how Christians survive in the last days. He actually goes further than that. How do we use our time here to bring glory to God? That's where he lands in chapter 4, verse 11. Have a look at it. Chapter 4, verse 11. This one is on the screen. So that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is his goal. This is his goal, bringing glory to God. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Christian experience is not dissimilar to my paintball experience. Here's what I meant. To win a game of paintball, you've got to keep your head and stick together. As a disciple of Jesus in these last days, to survive and to bring glory to God, you've got to keep your head and stick together. You've got to keep your head and stick together. Let's start with keeping your head from verse 7. Read it again with me. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Be alert and of sober mind. There are two kinds of people in high-pressure situations. There are those that panic and make poor decisions and there are those that keep their head and make reasoned decisions. That's why I could never be a paramedic, right? When it comes to living as Christians in a hostile world, Peter says you need to keep your head. Don't panic. Don't panic. But it's not so that you can defend yourself against persecution. That's not why you keep your head. You keep your head so that you may pray. Keep your head so that you may pray. Now, you might know of the story uh, of the night before Jesus died. He was facing a horrible situation. In Luke chapter 22, he takes his disciples, including Peter, the guy who wrote this letter, he takes him with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, including Peter, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
And then knowing that the very next day he would be nailed to a cross and have the judgment of God poured out on him. Right? There's no bigger pressure than that, right? What does he do? He doesn't panic. He goes away and he prays. He prays. And then after he's prayed, he comes back and he finds Peter and the others sleeping. Now, I sympathize with these guys here. I sympathize with them. The text says they were exhausted from sorrow. They slept. They didn't pray as Jesus told them to pray. They didn't follow Jesus' example. And that very same night, well, Peter does fall into temptation, doesn't he? He abandons Jesus under pressure. He denies Jesus three times. I reckon in his encouragement here in 1 Peter 4, Peter is reflecting on that night. As you face the pressures of these last days, don't give up like I did. Don't fall asleep like I did. No, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and on your inheritance in heaven and pray, pray. Prayer is the source of strength for Christians in a world that hates us because God is the source of strength for Christians in a world that hates us. And so we need to pray consistently for wisdom in how to respond to the people that treat us badly, for courage to speak the truth in a post-truth world, for focus to look ahead to our home in heaven so we don't get distracted by the fleeting pleasures of this world, for self-control to reject sin and to seek holiness, for clarity of mind to turn to God for strength, and not to rely on our own strength. In these last days, we need to follow the example of our Lord Jesus. Keep our heads and pray. Now in verses 8 to 11, there's a, there's a little shift. Right? The letter of 1 Peter makes very clear that Christians are called and saved into community into community, the people of God, right? We're not just individuals. And so we need to know how to relate to each other in these last days as well. How should we behave as Christians towards Christians? How do we not just keep our heads individually, but stick together communally? Well, Peter offers three things to embrace as we stick together as disciples of Jesus. The first one is from verse 8. Love each other. Love each other. Have a look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. My, uh, my wife, Ali, is the most patient and forgiving person I know. And I'm sure of this because she's married to me, right? Marrying Ali showed me just how difficult and how annoying and how downright hurtful I can be at times, right? Especially when I get stressed, when there's a deadline, when I've had a hard week. Living with other people when the pressure is on is hard. It's hard. That's what Peter's getting at here. In verse 8, as disciples, we are saved into the community of God's people, right? We're in relationship with other Christians. 
And the reality is, we talked about this in week one, Christians are people that are saved by grace, but we're still sinful. We're still difficult. We're still hurtful to each other. And we've got to live together in these last days when the pressure is turned right up. So in order to stick together, we must love each other. We must love each other. We love each other for two reasons. Firstly, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now you might hear that phrase and be asking all kinds of questions about what Peter means when he says this. We're not being called here to pretend that we don't hurt each other. All right? Peter's not saying like, you know, if you love each other, then you'll sweep all the hurt that you cause each other under the rug and just pretend that it's not there. No, that's not what he's saying. Peter is calling us to express our love for other Christians by being ready and willing to forgive each other when we hurt each other. We don't hold grudges. We don't seek revenge. We forgive. We forgive. The expression of our love for one another is that we don't let sin breathe. We don't give sin any oxygen. We don't let Satan take hold in our relationships. We forgive other Christians. The second reason that we love each other is because when we do, it shows the world that we are disciples of Jesus and that brings glory to God. It shows the world that we're disciples and that brings glory to God. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how you know. That's how the world will know if you love each other. Love for other disciples is essential for getting through the last days and glorifying God. It's essential. But it's actually not something that we can do in our own strength. We can't. 1 John chapter 4 says this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then skipping ahead to verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. When we receive a love as great as the love that God has shown to us in Jesus... It enables us to love each other in the way that Peter's describing here. It enables us to do it. We can only love and forgive others because of how much we've been loved and forgiven by Jesus. It doesn't come from our own strength. It never can. So if you find it hard to love your Christian brothers and sisters sometimes, well, let me tell you, you're not alone because that's all of us. That's all of us. So pray. Ask God to remind us of how much we've been forgiven by him. Ask him for the strength to love each other in light of his love and forgiveness.
That's the only way to do this. Ask God. So the first thing to embrace as we stick together, love each other. Love each other. The second thing to embrace as we stick together is to show hospitality to each other. Verse 9. Verse 9. Show hospitality to each other. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, when we think of hospitality, when we hear the word hospitality, often the first thought that pops into our mind is we better have our friends round to our house for dinner. Right? Now, that is not wrong, okay? That is an expression of hospitality. But Peter has a much broader picture than that in mind. See, in the ancient world where Peter writes, churches didn't meet in beautiful cathedrals like we do, but in the homes of willing Christians. Travelling missionaries, they didn't have a hotel that they could book. They relied on Christians in that town letting them stay. There were no orphanages, nursing homes. There were no places for sick people or widows. They all relied on hospitality. Christians giving of themselves and of their resources for the sake of others. The hospitality that Peter calls disciples to in these last days is much more than sharing a meal with friends. It's welcoming a stranger for a meal. It's welcoming the visitor to church and including them in your plans for the day. It's offering a bed to the uni student who's just arrived in town and doesn't have a place to stay yet. It's praying for and investing in relationships with people who might, have, who might move on in six months' time. It's lending your car to someone who needs it. Right? It's viewing everything that you have, everything as resources and as opportunities to show love to each other. You don't need to own a house or be a good cook to do that. But all those things are costly. They're all costly. They cost money, they cost time, they cost comfort, they cost personal space sometimes. And our sinful hearts, they like to complain about that cost. I've, uh, I've welcomed people into my home for dinner with a smile on my face, having just complained for the last six hours about the effort that's required to do it and to prepare for it. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. That's not the call here. That's hospitality with grumbling, right? And that is not Christian hospitality. But we can't hope to offer hospitality without grumbling in our own strength. Our our hospitality will be joyful only if it is an overflow of God's hospitality to us. God has welcomed us sinners who don't deserve welcome into the family of God. He has made us heirs to an eternal inheritance in heaven. And it was costly for him to do it. It cost him his own son. That's the price that God paid to show hospitality to you. And so our hospitality needs to be an overflow of his hospitality. The grace of God needs to overflow from the cross into our hearts and our homes and our resources. 
show hospitality to each other in these last days. That's the second thing to embrace. The third thing to embrace as we stick together is to serve each other. Verse 10, serve each other. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, right? As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I won't go into lots of depth here because you can go back and you can listen to the sermon in this series on belonging to church where we opened up Ephesians chapter 4 and we thought about using our gifts to serve each other. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But every Christian has been given gifts by God. We are stewards of them. They're not ours. They are God's that he calls us to use for the sake of others. For the sake of others. We have gifts that are supposed to give others a taste of God's grace. We live in the last days when the world is putting pressure on us to conform, when it's getting harder and harder to stand firm in our faith. But when we use our God-given gifts to serve each other, we give each other a little boost, a little encouragement, a little taste of the sweetness of God's grace to us in a hard time. It's like a sip of cold water on a hot day. It displays God's goodness to each other and to the world. Now, as we serve one another by speaking his word, by encouraging, by giving, by leading, showing mercy, singing, making food, praying, the list goes on. I could stand here all night. It will be tiring. It's going to be tiring. And that's actually okay. Because... We must serve each other, verse 11, with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We don't want people to think that we are great as we serve each other. We want people to think God is great as we use the gifts that he has given to us. We display God's grace to each other and to the world when we serve each other lovingly and sacrificially. That's the third thing to embrace as we stick together. Living in these last days while we wait for Jesus to return is hard. It's hard. This world is not our home. It will reject us, just like it rejected Jesus. It will hate us, pressure us, and challenge us. We will be tempted to lose our head, to panic, to give up, to conform. But as disciples of Jesus, we have been given tools, not just to survive in the last days, but to bring glory to God. Number one, we keep our head. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and pray. Pray for the strength that only he can give us to stand firm to the end. And number two, we stick together. We need to love and forgive one another, which we can only do 
because we have received an even greater love and forgiveness from God. We need to show hospitality to one another, which we can only do because we have received an even greater hospitality from God. And we need to serve each other, which we can only do with the strength that God provides so that we can bring glory to him. Because that is what it looks like to live as a disciple of Jesus in these last days. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. As we fix our eyes on you and on our home in heaven, we pray that you would give us clarity of mind and strength to bear up under the pressure of the world and the sin in our hearts. Please help us to love each other, show hospitality to each other, and serve each other for your glory until Jesus returns. Amen.